This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. That is Proverbs 1717. Guys, thanks so much for listening to this podcast episode. We are so thankful for you. But guys, I just also want to say right before we get into today's content, because I'm very, very excited about today's content, but I wanted to remind you that we are a 100% donor-supported ministry. So guys, we have people that are coming on on a monthly basis or even a one-time basis and supporting what we do because we do not sell anything other than t-shirts, which we don't really make any money off of. We've given away hundreds and hundreds of hours worth of podcast content for free. We've given away just tons of content in terms of devotionals for free. We've got a lot of stuff coming out in the next 12 to 18 months that'll all be for free. And the only reason we're able to do that is because guys are supporting us. And so if you would go to undaunted.life backslash donate, that's undaunted.life backslash donate. That link will be in the show notes. You can check out your budgets, see what you can do. We thank you guys so much for considering that. And also to the guys that have been giving all this time, you are our rock. You are why we were able to do this, but let's go ahead and get into today's content. January 27th of 2022 that we will that that will literally be a day that i will not soon forget okay because that was the day that i was promoted to purple belt in jujitsu okay it was it was an absolutely incredible night and we'll get more into the festivities of the evening but it was an incredible experience i'm in some ways shocked that it even happened but before we get into the festivities of the night and everything therein, I wanted to, to reflect a little bit on how I've discussed Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu on this podcast. Because Jiu-Jitsu, for any of you guys that have been listening to this for any point of time or any length of time, you've seen Jiu-Jitsu as kind of a center point for this show. And really, from the beginning, you know, I've done entire episodes on the sport, and, and I mention it often, as many of you know. And I'm almost constantly encouraging my audience, right? All of you in my audience and really anyone that I'm around, all the people that are in my circle to get into jujitsu. I'm constantly telling guys like, Hey, I want to get in shape. And it's like, man, come, come do jujitsu. Come try it on Sunday nights with my crew of guys and, you know, work out a little bit and you'll learn some things. And I'm, I'm just constantly, you know, like evangelizing how great jujitsu is and what a, a big impact, big positive impact it can have on your life. And really, I've done two entire episodes of this podcast just really dedicated exclusively to my experience with jiu-jitsu, and then I've done some interviews as well. So episode five of this podcast is six months of jiu-jitsu. Episode 62 of this podcast was Blue Belt. That's the episode I did the week after I got Blue Belt. And I'll put both of those in the show notes so you guys can listen to, uh, to them for yourself, but just to kind of give you a little bit of a primer. Episode five, that was called Six Months of Jiu-Jitsu. That was released on January the 18th of 2018. Uh, man, it's just crazy to think about how long ago I started training, and, and I haven't been training that long compared to some of my partners, but you can listen to that one for yourself, but I'll give you a little bit of a rundown. I went through my athletic history, kind of told you what sports I played and, you know, how none of that really related to jujitsu except for a couple of years doing wrestling, how I had a lifetime interest in mixed martial arts and fighting, uh, me joining Fight Club. That's my group of guys that I talk about, my foxhole group that meets on Sunday nights at the Forge at seven o'clock at the Forge in Edmond, Oklahoma. And I went there the first time I know the exact date I first started training jujitsu, and that was July the 10th of 2016. And the reason why I know that date is because July the 9th, of 2016 was UFC 200. And that's where I met all these guys. We did like this man day thing and guys were like, Hey, we, we trained jujitsu on Sunday nights. If you want to come roll out the very next day, I was like, yeah, let's do it. So July 10th, 2016, that was my very, very first class I ever took. And then, you know, from there I was kind of flirting with the idea of doing Brazilian jujitsu for real. Then I eventually found the forge. I talked about that in that episode. And then I talked about the immediate lessons that I learned. I learned about how, you know, humility is a big deal because, you know, I'll be talking a little bit more about that here in a second, but humility is a really big deal. Uh, there's a lot of power in jujitsu. You can really learn how to control people physically and that there's some power in that. And also that jujitsu can be for everyone. That's not a particular body style that does well. There's not a particular type of athlete that tends to do well. You know, I talked about my first tournament. I talked about Andre Galvao giving me my Brazilian jujitsu nickname, Viking. I talked about the spiritual, mental, and physical connection with jiu-jitsu. So that was episode five. So again, right from the beginning, I was talking about jiu-jitsu. And then fast forward to February 14th of 2019. That was episode 62 called Blue Belt. So I talked about getting my blue belt. I talked about, you know, everything kind of leading up to that moment. I went through the lessons that I had learned since episode five of the podcast. I also went into three things that I need to needed to do in order to make my Brazilian jiu-jitsu game uh, even better at the time. And the three things I put out there were to feel even heavier on top, you know, increase my top pressure. Uh, also to keep 
getting the takedown, right? Because I would get a lot of takedowns, but just kind of keep doing that. And then the other one, I, I said, kind of keep the dog hungry. And so that's just always having, you know, that dog in you like, hey, I'm going to scramble a little bit, you know, faster than you. And I'm going to go a little bit harder than you than that kind of a thing. But then I also talked about the three things that I need to fix with my Brazilian jiu-jitsu game, which is funny because looking back at, back at that list, I'm like, man, I still suck at a lot of these things. But the first one is just being comfortable on my back. And so that's something that I'm certainly a lot more comfortable on my back. But that leads into the second thing, which I said, which is being dangerous from my back, which I'm not very dangerous from my back. That's still something I need to work on, but my guard isn't getting passed as easily. I'm doing at least some sweeps. I'm getting some triangles, that type of a thing. And the third thing I looked at was not getting stuck in bottom side control. And, you know, spoiler alert, I still get stuck in bottom side control sometimes. But those are the things I, I wanted to kind of talk through on that episode. And then also, I just kind of pitched all of you on why you should train jujitsu. So, Again, guys, I've, I've talked about this a whole lot, and it's been years and years in the making to kind of get to this moment, and that was the night where I got my purple belt. But before we get to that exact evening, I need to back up about three weeks because I knew that promotions were coming up. I didn't think there was a very good chance that I would be promoted, but the way that we do promotions at the Forge in Edmond is we kind of do a big deal. We do a big evening where a lot of people show up, and people that are being promoted are kind of put in a separate group, and then that person's basically put through the gauntlet. They have to roll constantly for about an hour and a half with you know little breaks here and there, but the thing is, is you need, you're going to be one of two people or I guess one of three people, you're going to be a spectator or you're going to be getting promoted or you're going to be one of the people that's helping the person get promoted, get promoted, right? You're going to be helping put them through the gauntlet. So either way, you've got to be in really, really good shape. Now I'm in good shape in general, but rolling for those of you guys that do jujitsu, you know, rolling is a little bit different kind of shape. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to increase my level of classes, you know, that I'm doing or increase the amount of classes I'm doing for the five or six weeks leading to that, because more than likely I'm going to be uh, a, you know, just a teammate that night. I want to make sure that I give good roles and good looks to the guys that are getting promoted. I want to be a good teammate. And then three weeks, literally to the day prior to that evening, I suffered a pretty bad injury. I popped a rib out. And so, uh, and I never really got an exact diagnosis, even though I saw a couple of doctors. Could have been a fracture. You know, it was definitely some muscle tearing and some cartilage tearing up in that area. But for any of you that have experienced a rib injury, which before this moment I had not, it's awful. It is absolutely awful. You can't breathe. There's not really a position you can lay or sit in that's comfortable. Um, I sneezed about two days after I popped this rib, and it was I, I thought I was dead. I was like, okay, that's it. I mean, life's just over. That's as bad as it can possibly get. But all I was thinking about was, dang it. Like, everyone says it takes forever, you know, four to six weeks for a rib really to heal and for you to get back to normal to where you can really move. But I was like, you know, I'm going to really dedicate myself. I'm going to really, really dedicate myself to keeping as much inflammation out of the body in any way that I could. You know, I was, I was willing to do some experimental stuff to try and heal, which I didn't end up doing because I didn't want to like lose 10 years off the end of my life so that I could, you know, roll for a couple of hours one night whenever I was in my thirties. But I, I did everything I could you know, was, you know, putting a healing balm on and I was icing it all the time. And, and I just straight up rested for about a week. And then one of my physical therapist buddies said, okay, here's some different things you can do that won't really tweak the rib. And so I was able to still work out. Um, and, and for me, the only thing I could do cardiovascular wise was to ride on an airdyne bike but without using the arms. So I would basically sit on an Airdyne bike with a, you know, a couple of pairs of pants on, a couple of hoodies on, just with my hands in my pockets. And I would just, you know, move that bike for 20, 25, 30 minutes, something like that. And just try to do some sprints and really do anything. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I also did uh, some classes. I went to some of our jujitsu classes because, <clears throat> excuse me, the coughing podcast, two in a row. But th there was an, an element of I wanted to make sure I stayed mentally sharp, that I, you know, I wasn't just taking three weeks off and not even thinking about jujitsu. And so I did go to some classes. I would basically sit on the Airdyne bike in class and I would just kind of watch whenever people were drilling, but then I would just still get a little bit of work in. But here we are. It's the week of uh, promotion week. You know, of course, I don't know until I show up if I'm actually going to be promoted or if I'm actually just going to be helping out. And I didn't feel great. The rib didn't feel good. I wasn't, you know, getting into certain, I wasn't getting into positions where it felt normal, right? But the day before, one of my main training partners and main coaches, a guy named Aldo Gonzalez, who I'll talk more about here in a second, you know, we went up to the forge the day before and I was like, I just want to see what I can do. Like, what takedowns do I have available to me? What positions on bottom do I have available? Can I do some sweeps, blah, blah, blah. And let's just say it was, it was not a fun experience because basically everything that I wanted to do hurt. So I, I, takedowns are a big part of my game. None of those were really available to me. 
Because the bridging motion, so if you lay down on your back and you like bridge your hips off the, off the mat or something like that, you know, uh, that motion was where I got hurt to begin with. And so a lot of my takedowns, I'm kind of bridging to dump the guy to a certain side. So that was going to get after the rib and all that. And so basically every position we tried to get into, except for bottom knee shield, which is, you know, a version of bottom half guard was not really available to me. And Aldo gave me some good advice. He goes, man, you know, depending upon what happens tomorrow, you just need to play defense. Like no explosive movements, like no takedowns, like none of that stuff that you're used to. Just, you know, play some defense. Like try to pull some guys into half guard, see what you can do from there. I work a little bit from lockdown. So here we go. So then I roll in there on on Thursday night and basically from the very beginning, you know whether or not you're going to be promoted because they call your name out and they put you in, you know, a separate side of the gym and then they kind of get everything, uh, you know, facilitated and then they kind of bring you in there. And so from the very beginning, uh, you know, they're naming all the names and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, that guy's getting promoted that's awesome that's awesome that's awesome and then they said my name it's like okay all right uh i'm here now like let's might as well do this there's no way to tape the the ribs up i didn't take any pills it's just like we're gonna have to deal with it and so without getting into to everything you know uh, for the next hour and a half or so uh, about a dozen of us that were being promoted uh at varying levels we were put out there and the best of the best from our gym and even people just affiliated with our gym showed up and i, I got to give a, a big shout out to my coaches because they were very on top of you know telling the my training partners that night the guys competing against me about the injury making sure that they were aware of it um and and even whenever they would roll with me, they rolled very, very, very hard. They went for a lot of subs, but they were aware of the injury. And then we get to the end of that. The the guy that's kind of facilitating everything starts clapping. Everybody starts clapping. We know what's going to happen. So we all kind of line up, you know, based on our, our color of belt and all that. And then we just go down the line and they start promoting, you know, white to blue and blue to purple and purple to brown. And we did have one guy go from brown to black. Uh, more on my uh, teammate Chris Avon here in a bit as well. And then they got to me, kind of bring, brought me out there. You know, it's great. Everybody's clapping. It's a, it's a big family type deal. You know, you take your belt off and put it around your neck. And, you know, our main black belt, Rob Harper, who's a third degree black belt, you know, put put my purple belt on me. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, like this just crazy, amazing moment. Um, one of my main coaches and training partners named Tyler Murrah, he had some very, very nice things to say about, you know, my tenacity and my ability to kind of work through injuries and, and all that, which was really, really nice to hear and uh, kind of went back and, you know, my wife was there. She kind of snuck in. You know, I thought she was going to be home with the baby, but, you know, she snuck in there, you know, found a babysitter at the last minute because, uh, you know, someone let her know, uh, you know, that was on the inside that I was actually being promoted. So I got to, you know, experience that with her, take pictures. We had pizza and, you know, Gatorade and beer and all that stuff afterwards. And it was just a, a great environment. But I will say one thing that was it was interesting is, you know, after everybody kind of settled down and, you know, we had, you know, kind of recovered a little bit and had some cake and we're all leaving. So I get in my truck and I close the door. And kind of where I park is a little bit, you know, far away from the door and, you know, not in the, the same parking lot or whatever. And I just sat there for a moment and I just kind of took a deep breath and thought about how thankful I was uh, for that moment, how thankful I was for my teammates, uh, how thankful I was for, for my family and how, how thankful I was just for jujitsu in general. And, you know, how thankful to God I am that, you know, I found this place and I found these people because I really feel like I hit the jackpot with the forge in, in Edmond, Oklahoma. And, you know, it was just, a, it was a moment, you know, a quick moment, you know, five, 10 seconds of just extreme thankfulness before I, I drove on and uh, got some ice cream to, uh, to celebrate the night even a little bit further. Now, one thing that I did similar uh, in the blue belt episode. So those of you that listen to it, even here, recently you'll you'll kind of know where this goes because i thought about this is you know what changed immediately after that purple belt was put around my waist nothing nothing changed right i, I mean i'm the same skill level as the jujitsu fighter i was when i walked into the gym that day as i was walking out i had a new experience but I didn't learn a new move. I didn't learn a new position, right? I didn't really get any better because I was playing defense for an hour and a half. I basically couldn't do anything other than get tapped and try not to die, right? But I left the gym with a new color of dyed fabric belt, which symbolizes something. It symbolizes essentially what my coaches think about me because I think we have a dozen black belts affiliated with our school, and those are the people that get together to decide who's being promoted. So that, that's an awesome feeling to, to know that these people think enough of my game to think that I'm at that level, whether I disagree with them or not. 
Because, you know, uh, within six months of that evening, I was thinking to myself, man, I'm closer to my first day of jujitsu than I am to my purple belt. Like, I just felt like I was stagnating, that I wasn't really getting any better. But then, you know, kind of made some changes and kind of worked towards that direction. And, you know, the coaches thought enough of, of the game, of my game to, to give me my purple belt. But again, nothing changed. I'm the same person. I have the same personal struggles. I have the same issues whenever I, you know, go home or go to work or do any of those things, you know, same issues with the podcast and growing on Daunted Life. All that stuff is the same. It's the only, the, the color of the belt that changes. And you know what's required of me? Training. You know, it's cool. It's one thing to get a belt and then never show up again. Some guys do that at blue belt. They get the blue belt blues and they're like, ah, you know, I'm good. I'm a blue belt. I can pretty much beat up everybody, right? But what's required of me is to get right back in the gym. I'm still rehabbing the ribs, so it's going to be a while before I can go live in the way that, I, that I'm used to, but it just kind of is what it is. But then uh, we got to Fight Club. So again, every Sunday night, uh, you know, my, my group of guys, my foxhole, we get together, we're reading the same book, we do a workout, and then we train jujitsu. So uh, Russ, the ringleader, you know, if you guys remember from episode 104 of the Your Foxhole series, Russ Schwetman, um, he was my first jujitsu coach. And he, we, you know, we were kind of doing our talking right before I lead, lead the workout. And then he kind of broke up the talk and he said, man, big congratulations needs to go out to Kyle. And, you know, I won't say everything that he said, but he just said how great of accomplishment he it was. And when he started doing jujitsu, when he was a, a white belt, like he was getting smoked by people that had been training for like 30 or 45 days, right? And he's like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And he's, you know, kind of this big hulking guy. And then whenever he would compete as a white belt against a blue belt, he's like, oh my gosh, these blue belts are like almost impossible. It's like, I feel like a blue belt could get in a street fight. And even if they lost, I bet the person they fought would probably not want to fight that person again. But then he's like, when I was a white belt, I would go against these purple belts and they were like a different thing. Cause he was like, I, I was a white belt. I was a human, but a purple belt was just a different thing altogether. And he basically said, you know, a purple belt is like a certified, you know, what kicker, right? Like that's basically what a purple belt is. And he's a purple belt. Now he's been a purple belt for a while, but he was just basically being very, very, uh, complimentary of me and of, you know, how far I've come just even as a person, since I started training jujitsu, a lot of life lessons that I've learned, but then also just uh, gave me a very encouraging message in terms of, Hey, this is who you are right now, but you know, keep going, let's keep training. And, and it was just an inspiring message to hear. But right now, I kind of want to get in to the turning points in my jujitsu life. And in this episode, we're going to talk about some turning points, some of the lessons I've learned. You know, I got some very interesting things I want to share with some of my coaches. So even if you're not a jujitsu person, there's going to be some interesting takeaways that you can have for the remainder of this episode. But the turning points in my jujitsu life so far, I'll go at each level. So at white belt, and I've talked about this before, but I really love the story and I love sharing it. When I was a white belt, I had a very tough love lesson that was delivered to me by, you know, basically my main training partner for my entire jujitsu life, which is Tyler Murrah, who's an IBJJF uh, brown belt world champion. Like he's, he's legitimately one of the most dangerous human beings that I know. But at white belt, you know, I was probably about a year, year in, cause I got my white belt at basically at the year and a half mark and I had a bad practice. So I, I go back to the locker room and I'm changing and I'm brooding and I'm, uh, and I'm doing all this and kind of cursing myself and all that. And Tyler, who's a very reserved guy, doesn't really say a lot. But when he does say things, you kind of perk up. He kind of knew what I was doing and I was brooding and I was having a little ego fart and all those different things. And he just kind of looks at me and he goes, Kyle, what would you do to the Kyle that you were six months ago? And it's like, oh, I'd, I'd kill that Kyle. Like there's, there's no way the guy from me from six months ago could beat the me from today. And he just looked at me and said, okay, then shut up. He's like, we're all getting better. Right? Like you're training with all of us, you're getting better, but also we're getting better. So you're going to have tough classes. Get over it. And I didn't get offended. I was like, mm, dang, like you're completely, completely right. And that, that really changed a lot of my mindset at the white belt mode, which is like, hey, man, we're all getting better at the same time. And it just is what it is. So that was a big turning point for me at white belt. Now at blue belt, I had several turning points for me. Um, and I guess the first one that would be interesting to, to you as an audience is deciding that jujitsu was going to be a part of my life forever. Now, you might think to yourself, but wait a minute, Kyle, you were doing all this, you know, preaching and evangelizing about jujitsu at White Belt. You know, I thought you wanted to do jujitsu for forever. And the reality is, is at White Belt, like from the moment I took my first class at the Forge, I thought from that day on, that that was going to be my reality, that I was going to do jujitsu for my entire life. I was going to be, try to be the guy rolling in his 60s, right? And then came the injuries. 
I got bit by the injury bug, something fierce in my blue belt days, right? I was having chronic neck issues, right? From trying to muscle out of stuff and, you know, letting submissions go on a little bit too long, try to try to prove how tough I am, right? I broke my nose. So I broke my nose right before I got promoted to blue belt, right? Like the day that I got released to my doctor to be able to do jujitsu is whenever I got promoted to blue belt. So there's a trend here, you know, right before promotions, I, I get a pretty big injury. I destroyed my thumb, tore every single ligament in my left thumb, required surgery. I had another surgery and it was just, it was a tough, tough time period uh, there for a while in jujitsu. Um, I at like the four year mark of my training in jujitsu. I, I figured it up and I kind of like did the math. I probably lost an entire year of training to injuries. So about 25% of my first four years was spent on the shelf, right? I mean, there was just no, uh, no way to get on the mat with some of the injuries I had. If I had a cast on or something like that. And the thing about it is, is I, I hurt my, my neck again about six months ago. And after that neck injury, I honestly thought that I might have to give up jujitsu. I was like, okay, this neck injury is affecting other parts of my body. It's affecting, you know, my ability to parent. Like if I can't like turn around or pick my kid up, like that's not really going to work. You know, we want to have more kids and that type of a thing. And it wasn't like I was ever moving in that direction of actually quitting and, and not doing that anymore and letting jujitsu be a part of my past. But that was at least a thought. That was at least something that was kind of in my psyche that this is something that might actually happen. But I made a decision that. I was going to focus on staying healthy. I was going to focus on getting healthy. I was going to focus on just taking care of my body. And if so, changing my, my style of doing things, and, because this is going to be something that I want to do for my entire life. Like I don't have any illusions that I'm going to be some sort of world champion someday or make a career out of jujitsu. That's just not really the, the, what I'm going for. But I made a decision and that was a big turning point for me that jujitsu was just going to be something that I do. And so I got to make sure I take care of myself as I age into the sport. But another turning point at Blue Belt was a coach that challenged me. So I've already talked about Aldo Gonzalez, but he gave a challenge to me. And, I, and to be honest, I tried to think through it. I couldn't remember exactly why he said this. Okay, but I was preparing for a tournament and there was some context that I can't even remember right now. But Aldo looks at me and just says, hey, man, start thinking like a purple belt. And it wasn't like he was dropping a hint like, "Ooh, six months from now, you're probably going to get it. But I'm sure I had said or done something or maybe even rolled in a way that was very blue beltish or, or like basically like a seven stripe white beltish, right? Like that type of a thing. He said, start thinking like a purple belt. And so that made me introspective. And I started looking around at our gym at the purple belts. Cause here's one thing about our gym that I think is very, very important to mention. We don't have like lifetime achievement belts. So there are some people that like, Oh, you know, they've hung around gym long enough and some random gym and they've been a white belt. So I guess we'll give them their blue belt. Nah, they've been a blue belt for a while. They're not really getting any better. They don't really train that much and they're, they're getting fat, but yeah, sure. Let's give them their purple belt. We don't have any of that at the forge. And part of the way that I know that is because when our guys go over to other gyms, open mats, that it's not pretty like our blue belts are smashing purple belts and brown belts from other schools, right? It's just, you know, that that's a good thing that you, we have such a, a tough room and nobody just gets promoted just because, right? But when he said, start thinking like a purple belt, I started looking at our other purple belts and understanding what they were doing. Cause everyone's different. They have their own game. They have their own things that they like to focus on. But I started thinking like, okay, as a purple belt, I would like to be X, Y, and Z. Here are the things I would like to be able to do. Here's what I would want people to think after they're done rolling with me. Cause I would think, you know, after I got done rolling with a lot of our purple belts, like, man, this is terrible. Like, what am I going to do? And like, I can't figure this out, but that's what you start thinking. Like you're thinking like, Hey, I want to be a puzzle that somebody else has a lot of trouble solving, I guess. So that was another turning point for me, you know, getting that challenge from Aldo. But then the last challenge I'll, I'll talk about in terms of blue belt is the last competition that I did. So the last competition that I did at blue belt, I did very well. I won my weight division and I won absolute. Okay. But it was how I won those matches. And this was after all those challenges and all those different things. And, and I kind of made some changes to, to how I was focusing and doing certain things. But it, in, in the most humble way that I can say it possible, I buzzsawed through my opponents. My, my, my opponent that I won when I won my weight division, I took him down almost immediately. I took him down really, really hard. And within 45 seconds, I tapped him, right? Just buzzed right through him. And then in the absolute, I went up against a guy that was bigger than me, but I've gone up against guys that are bigger than me. I've gone up against guys I, I weigh, you know, I, I think I weighed in at that tournament at 187. I got up against guys that were as big as 275. But the thing that's always interesting, even with these big guys, is they're usually not stronger than me. They're just bigger, right? 
but this guy was bigger than me and stronger than me. And I could feel that almost immediately when I, you know, we kind of locked up, but I beat this guy like 19 to zero or something, 20 to zero and just buzzed right through him. I made a lot of mistakes. Like you don't want to see the match. The match is ugly. My coaches are saying the right things and I'm doing the wrong things, but it just kind of worked out. Like I kept getting in good positions, advantageous. He, he wouldn't tap in certain positions, but I just kind of ran up the score on him. And that was a turning point for me because it's like, okay, I'm getting smoked all the time at the forge. And, you know, I'm getting killed by my teammates and, you know, I have frustrating practices and I hope I'm getting better. But then when you go to a tournament and you go against people that are supposedly at your level and they're just not like it just made me thankful for my gym and made me thankful for my teammates all over again. But that was a turning point for me as well to where it's like I already knew my my gym was great, but that just kind of helped solidify. It. And again, it wasn't like some international tournament or something like that. I'm not trying to say that I'm, you know, the next big thing or I'm going to be, you know, making money doing this. But it's just it was good to kind of see that even at a local tournament with guys from disparate schools or from different schools. That was a, a really, really cool thing. But then there's got to be another turning point coming, you would think. Right. You know, what's the turning point going to be at Purple Belt? I don't really know, but I am very, very excited to find that out. But now I want to go ahead and get into the biggest lessons that I've learned so far in terms of jujitsu. And I'll kind of do that in terms of, you know, in different transitioning points. But here are the biggest lessons because I tried to distill them down all to one thing. From not training to white belt. So going from just being a dude that tries to be in shape and all that to being a white belt. The biggest lesson that I learned is that your ego will kill you. <laughs> your ego will absolutely kill you. Okay. Because the thing about it is, is if you go into jujitsu as a white belt, acting like you're God's gift to the sport or to athletics in general, it's going to be a horrible, horrible thing for you. The number of people that come in that are great athletes, you know, Adonis bodies, super strong, super explosive, and they just get smashed by dudes that have a little bit of a beer belly or guys that are considerably smaller than them, not nearly as strong as them. A lot of those guys don't come back. Because their ego can't handle it. And I had some moments like that where I would get beat by people that, oh, well, I shouldn't be losing to this person. Well, I, I'm clearly superior to this person or that person. And then I'd get smoked. And sometimes I didn't react very well. I let, let's not pretend like I just controlled myself the entire time. I had some big outbursts and some, you know, stupid screaming F words and like all, just being an idiot, right? But that's the biggest lesson I learned from not training to white belt is if you keep that ego, right? The fake ego, ego, like the bravado ego, it's going to kill you eventually. You, you just won't last long, especially at a school that doesn't basically suffer fools like that. It's not going to be good for you. The biggest lesson I learned from white belt to blue belt was mat time. You have to have mat time. So I already talked about a lot of injuries kept me off the mat, right? And so I didn't, I wasn't able to get that mat time, but even uh, going from white belt to blue belt, I would, I would look at, you know, man, I'm, I'm having so many trouble, uh, so many problems in this position. I'm having problems with this type of a person, or, you know, I can't finish that takedown on this guy that I can finish on that guy or something like that. But the biggest thing is mat time. There are things that just start to make sense. Okay. They, they just start to make sense. There's something that even happened here recently. This is more of a transition from, from blue to purple, but uh, X guard was something that for whatever reason, just didn't make sense in my brain. I'd have trouble getting to the position. I certainly wasn't effective from that position, but just in the last like three months, things have just clicked because I just repeatedly was on the mat working X guard, right? So that was the biggest lesson I learned from white belt to blue belt is how important mat time is. And then from blue belt to purple belt, the, the biggest lesson I learned of, of all the lessons is slow down, slow down. Now, some of you guys would like me to take that same lesson and apply it to this podcast because I talk so fast. But guys, I'm just telling you, you could even go down to half speed, even though I encourage you to listen at two times speed. But even in jujitsu, it's like, Kyle, slow down. I can literally hear my coaches in my ear right now. Kyle, slow down. Just slow down. Hey, oh, you lost position because you, you got too fast or you got too high. Like you got shaken off the back again. Like slow down. Ooh, just slow down. Trust your technique. Like trust your body, trust your positioning. And the thing is, is I learned that lesson, but I still suck at it sometimes. I mean, going back to that, that match I told you about where I beat the guy, you know, 19 or 20 to nothing. I got put in some bad positions in, and by say I got put in that, that bad positions. I put myself in some bad positions in that match because I went too fast. And afterwards, 
my grips were blown, which has never happened to me in a tournament or in class. Like I just went way too fast. And when I went back and watched the video later, I could hear my coaches and other teammates saying, Hey Kyle, slow down, slow down establish position. You get your points, like just relax. But that's the biggest lesson from blue belt to purple belt is just slow down. Now, obviously I don't have any lessons from purple belt to brown belt. I mean, obviously I plan to keep training and keep going that direction. So I'm not sure right now, obviously what the biggest lessons that I will learn will be, but I can tell you what I'll be focusing on as I'm transitioning and on my journey from purple belt to brown belt. The first thing is technique. I use a lot of explosiveness. I use a lot of, you know, things that, that shouldn't work, but it's working because, you know, I deadlift or it's working because, you know, I have some, you know, agility or things like that, but really, really focusing on technique, allowing myself to get put in a bad position. If my technique was so busted up to, to not just respond and, you know, try to overcome bad technique with good body control or with power or something like that. I really, really want to focus on my technique. Another thing that I want to focus on, this is going to kind of be the big thing that I really want to focus on is high percentage moves, high percentage positions, and high percentage submissions. Okay. We have some guys at our school that train all the time. They train every single day of the week, sometimes twice, twice a day. So they can get away with practicing moves that are not very high percentage, you know, Instagram type moves and all these flying things and all that, because that's how they are. They've got all that available mat time to them. I do not train enough to warrant practicing incredibly obscure movements or positions. I just don't have that luxury. Okay. So that doesn't mean I'm going to actively not try to learn those things, but I'm just going to really focus on positions like getting to the back, you know, rear naked choke, other attacks from the back, you know, passing, pressure passing, some things that are, you know, really good for my style and the way that I do things. That's something that I really want to focus on at Purple Belt. And again, that all goes back to technique. But in general, you know, when thinking about lessons that I've learned so far in my time training, not, you know, at any particular time, but just, you know, as a whole, is that there are levels to this game. Guys, you hear that in every context. I even asked a guy you know, about it in a podcast interview recently that'll come out later you know, about, you know, the gap between somebody that's just really, really good at that sport that we were talking about versus someone that's a pro. And even on the night that we got promoted, there were probably, I think, three or four of us that got promoted from blue belt to purple belt. But the, the guy that got promoted right before me is a kid named Jake Coleman. We call him, you know, Jake the Snake Coleman. This guy's a blue belt that got promoted to purple belt. He has basically won every single tournament within several hundred miles of Oklahoma City. Like, there are so many schools that are excited that he was finally promoted from blue belt to purple belt. He's young. He's probably 21, 22 years old. He trains all the time. He's married, but his wife trains as well. It's really awesome to see them both on the mats together. He's a student of the game. He's obviously a very smart kid. Uh, he's uh, an explosive athlete. He's got good natural strength in, in different things, and he also works hard at that as well. And to say that somehow Jake the Snake Coleman and Kyle Viking Thompson are the same animal is a complete disrespect to Jake because Jake Coleman is going to be a world champion someday. I can feel it in my bones. I'm just trying to survive this jujitsu journey. I'm trying to survive this ridiculous hobby that I picked up for myself, right? I want to be able to, you know, walk, ride, and experience life into, into old age. I don't want to be one of those guys that just can't move later in life, right? There are levels to this game. Even look at black belt. There are guys that train for 10 years, 15 years. They finally get their black belt. And then they go to tournaments and they're competing against people that have been black belts for 10 years. They're, they're just flat out levels. There are guys that have black belts because they've trained for a long time and they're pretty good and they're pretty tough, but they wouldn't win a single tournament match if they went and competed at black belt, even at small tournaments, right? There are levels to everything and that's okay. But it's a good lesson to learn because you might think, oh, everyone's has to kind of be on the same level, but pick your favorite sport. Like, you know, for me, it'd be baseball. Like there's a big gap between Bryce Harper and, you know, the, the, the guy, the, I guess, a ball right fielder for the, in the Philadelphia Philly system. They're both professional baseball players, but one is going to be one of the best players of his generation. And the other guy, he may not make it out of a ball. Right? So that's another good lesson that I've learned in terms of jujitsu, that there are just levels to this game. But now I kind of want to go in a little bit and to kind of give you guys a little bit of an idea as to an honest assessment of my game and areas of improvement, because it's something that I've been focusing on. So this may be interesting to you. It may not, but the first thing, my game is really predicated on takedowns, pressure, pace, and explosiveness. Like that, that's really my game. So I don't have a long, you know, Oklahoma wrestling pedigree. I only wrestled for a couple of years in high school, but 
People don't focus a lot on takedowns, especially at tournaments. So the wrestling really hasn't been that great. And so I'm able to get quite a few takedowns, even on guys that are way, way, way better than me. They're going to tap me. It's only a matter of time, but I'm at least going to get those first two points. Like, that's my thing. I like to be very, if I'm on top in any of those positions, I want the guy to feel every bit of my weight. I want to feel way heavier than I am. Pace, I'll put a pace on people that, you know, again, I don't have a whole lot of skill. I don't have a lot of technique in, in a lot of areas, but I'm going to put a pace on you that's going to wear you out. You know, I've, you know, put a pace on people where, you know, they basically cardio tap. These are people that are better than me. They just didn't have the pace. And then explosiveness. That's why I'm very attracted to explosive takedowns, explosive movements, because that's kind of, you know, goes with my athletic build. But my areas for improvement, I've already talked about technique. My technique can be really, really, really bad in a lot of different positions. You know, I still want to focus on being offensive from bottom position. Um, you know, I've gotten a little bit more comfortable with not getting my guard pass, but I'm starting to learn some different modalities and different techniques. Uh, but I really, really need to still improve on that. <clears throat> also honing in on techniques that I should be good at. You know, you everyone looks at their body like if you have short, you know, big legs, you're probably not going to do a whole lot of body triangle from the back. It's probably not going to be available to you. But for me... I really should be a lot better at guillotines, but I suck at guillotines. I don't remember the last guillotine I got, but I'm barrel chested. I have long arms, you know, strong, strong upper body. I should be getting guillotines. I really need to focus on that technique. I don't really don't know much about leg locks. Uh, we've got a little bit of a leg lock revolution happening inside of our gym, uh, which is great, but that's not something that a uh, position I'm comfortable defending. It's not a position I'm comfortable going in offense because that's not something you want to mess with. You don't want to just grab somebody's ankle and start ripping. Like it's a good way to get kicked out of your gym. Um, but also you know, getting to the back, back attacks, sweeps from bottom. Those are all things that I really want to stay focused in on. But the, the biggest area improvement just for me is just staying healthy. You know, I was, I had a very long, uh, you know, track of being healthy for about a year or something like that. And then I had the rib injury, but Part of that is just, you know, bad luck. You know, you're going to be on the mats. Things are going to happen. You're going to zig when you should have zagged and you'll get hurt. But part of it is how you roll as well, because there are some upper belts at our gym that haven't been hurt in years. Like they're achy, but they're not injured. It's a, it's a little bit different, but that's kind of a little bit of an assessment of my game. But now I want to transition into a message that I have to those people that are starting their jujitsu journey. Okay. Because I get messages quite often from people that are like, Kyle, I've been listening to your show and you finally got me inspired. You know, I'm going to start doing jujitsu. I'm going to this school. My gi just came in the mail. You know, I'm a couple of weeks in and I'm already obsessed. And I get messages like that pretty often, but I do, I do have some, some advice, some messages for people that are just really at the beginning stages of their jujitsu journey. The first one is check your ego. Obviously we've talked about that, talked about that a lot earlier, but it's a good reminder. Because just because you know it doesn't mean you don't need to be reminded because I still have to be reminded sometimes when, oh, that guy shouldn't have tapped me. Just check your ego, okay? Second message I have for you is don't quit, okay? Don't be the person that trains for a year and a half, two years, gets your blue belt, and then calls it a day. Don't be that person. You know, some people have to quit, right? Because they, they got a new job and may, maybe they're a surgeon now and like their hands basically, you know, heal people, right? I, I get it, but just don't quit. Do what you have to do to be resilient and stick it out. Another message is don't freak out, okay? Don't freak out. And I mean that in a lot of different ways. Don't freak out whenever you tap a belt that's higher than you and start bragging to everybody about how you tapped out the brown belt and you're just a white belt or something like that. That, that probably shouldn't happen, but don't, don't freak out and do that. Also, when you're in a bad position, don't freak out. The number of people that, that tap to pressure Right, you put a body triangle on them, or you, you kind of smush them whenever you get mounted, or something like that, and they just tap. They're tapping because they're freaking out. They're not going to die. They're not going to suffocate. You're not literally squeezing the life out of them. They're just freaking out. So, to those of you that are early in that moment, learn how to be calm. If you're being smothered by a much bigger, much stronger, much better person, just try to just pretend that you're calm, even if you're not. Take as many deep breaths as you can. Control yourself. Don't freak out. Another message is figure out what your jujitsu goals are. Okay. So if you're 40 years old, you're just getting into jujitsu, you probably shouldn't make it a goal to be the ADCC champion. Probably not going to be available to you. Okay. You know, do, are you going to want to be a guy that's just, maybe your goal is to be a really good, really solid hobbyist teammate, right? That's probably the vein that I'm in. Or maybe your goal is, Hey, you're 21 years old. You wrestled your entire life, uh, but you're putting a gi on for the first time and you're thinking to yourself, man, I could be in my physical prime later in life between 27 and 32 and be a brown belt or a black belt. I can maybe do this big time, right? But figure out what your goals are because if that's your goal, you're going to have to train a whole lot. You're going to probably have to go travel around, do some tournaments and all that. But if that's not really what your goal is, you can kind of you know, mold your jujitsu life around whatever your goal is. Another thing to focus on if you're early in your jujitsu game is be a good teammate. Be a good teammate. So if you're a particular body style for somebody that's trying to get ready for a tournament, 
offer yourself up for extra rounds, okay? You know, you need to be getting better so that you can give other guys in the gym good looks. Like that, that's a good thing for you to focus on is just to be a good teammate. Also, don't be a jerk. Don't, don't hold subs longer than you need to. If you're an, uh, you know, I'm again, I'm talking to, to, you know, basic, you know, people, but let's say you're six months in and you're physically superior to a guy that's his first day. That's not your cue to kill him. You know, bring him along, talk him through some things, right? That's not your, your time to flex. If you want to flex, go to a competition. All bets are off. Try to hurt the guy, try to kill him. Like it's up to him to tap, right? But just focus on being a good teammate. And also that, re- that really gets into the, the next thing, which is compete. Just flat out compete. You need to be able to compete. And so by that, I mean in tournaments. I mean in the room. You need to be competing. You need to be in a competitive mindset. Now, your goal should not be to try to kill your teammates or beat your teammates. You, your number one goal should be to where you're, you're both getting better. And then your secondary goal should be like, hey, we need to both make sure that we're healthy at the end of this thing. But you need to learn how to compete because there is a different level of focus and a different level of intensity when you compete at a tournament. Because even if you're going with somebody that you've rolled with before, maybe at an open mat or maybe you did a guest spot at, a, at you know, someone else's school or something like that, it's different. It's different when you're the only two guys rolling in that vicinity. It's different when there's a referee out there with his you know, suit jacket and socks. It's different when you have your teammates watching. Because typically your teammates are, are trying to get after their own rounds, right? But now all the focus is on you. Lights are on. It's, it's cold in the room. You know, you're seeing the podium over there and you want to make sure you're on it. It's a different level of focus, but compete. Doesn't mean you're going to be a world champion. Doesn't even mean you even want to be. But you should at least compete in a local tournament. Another really, really good lesson that I've, that I've learned and a good lesson for anyone that's kind of still young in their journey, just tap. Just tap. A lot of my neck and back issues have been, like I said earlier, from getting in bad positions. And instead of just tapping, trying to show the guy who's trying on me how tough I am by waiting to the very last minute to tap. Right, you know, as the tunnel is kind of closing in, you're about to pass out. Tap. Well, my neck's under a bunch of pressure at that moment. I'm getting head and arm choked, and I'm trying to answer the phone, and I'm also trying not to die. Well, I'm put. There's a ton of pressure on my neck in that moment, and you know everything's getting compressed and all out of whack. But I don't want to tap. Right, I want to show how tough I am. Just tap. Just freaking tap. Like I've seen at tournaments, I've seen people rolling. They're in bad spots. They're rolling with somebody that's trying to be a good teammate. And yet here's this person like trying to roll out of this arm bar and try to pretend like this is, you know, the, the finals for the world championships. And it's just like, bro, just tap. You, you get to tap. You're not injured. You slap bump and then you, you move on. Right. So to those guys early, don't make the mistakes I did. Just tap. And again, if you're early in your journey, another lesson is expect injuries, but just deal with them. I've talked a lot about injuries on this podcast. Expect that they're going to happen. So get yourself pre in the mindset of just being able to deal with it. And in that vein, Buy an Iron Neck, okay? Now, I am not sponsored by Iron Neck. Hey, Iron Neck, shout out to you. If you want to sponsor the show, I'm all ears. But that was the one thing that really turned my neck injury situation around is I bought the Iron Neck. So you can, I'll put it in the show notes. You can check it out. Joe Rogan talks about it all the time. It's a very expensive piece of equipment, but it's one of the best ways, if not the best way that we've figured out in terms of training the neck muscles. Because a lot of the ways like neck bridges and all these kind of weighted harness things, they're putting pressure on the neck discs while getting your neck muscles strong. Whereas the Iron Neck is really just helping you get the muscles strong without putting the strain on the neck on the discs actually so i couldn't recommend that piece of machinery anymore the iron neck is absolutely absolutely fantastic also another thing for you to think through is that breakthroughs will come but they come from mat time again i've talked about my breakthrough with x guard i've had some other breakthroughs with certain positions that, that i got into that i was having trouble with but you have to have mat time again mat time mat time mat time if you train once a week it's going to be really 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 hard to get good you know in my fight club group i have some guys that have been training for over 10 years but they're training like once or twice a month and so they're they're not really getting any better they're kind of going to stay stagnant and stay at that level because they're not getting the mat time I and mean, once or twice a month it's better than nothing but it's not very much better than nothing another piece of advice that i would give to people that are just started training is that you got to lift and i mean weights heavy things because there are some people that are good at jujitsu because they're flexible or because they go to a lot of classes or because they're really, really smart and they chain things together, but they're not very strong. So we have a kid at our school named Adam and, you know, he's been this really, really good uh, guy, but he's smaller. He's flexible. He's got a really, really hard guard to pass, but he's just started lifting weights here recently. 
Good grief. He's going to be an absolute problem. I hate rolling with him, but I love rolling with him at the same time. But he's getting so strong now. He, he's, you know, lifting into his body. Like, he's he's literally growing into his frame now. So that's something you really need to focus on. Like, don't just ignore lifting because, you know, jiu-jitsu is a lot of fun. You still have to do the other stuff. You got to, you know, got to be flexible, be strong, all that. Another thing, and this is maybe the biggest, and I'll do these last points together because they're related. Don't worry about the belts. Kyle, isn't this podcast called Purple Belt? Like, isn't that what you're talking about this entire time? Yeah, but don't worry about it. Don't worry about the belts. With mat time and with years of training and with getting better and with competing with all that, the belts will come. You will get promoted. But the belts don't need to be the goal. Because just think about it. Let's say your goal is to be a black belt. Okay, so you, you train for 10, 15 years, whatever, and then you get your black belt. Then what? Do you just stop training now? Because this is a skill set that will go away if you stop doing it, right? So don't worry about the belt so much. Don't worry about is, you know, did my coaches see my, how good I rolled against that guy at gym last week? You know, did my coaches, you know, talk after the tournament about how well I did and, you know, how the fact that I got a gold or a silver or something like that. Don't worry about it. If your school has a regular, you know, schedule of promotions or an irregular schedule, don't worry about it. The belts will come. Try to be good. And so the last point, and this is, I'm stealing this from Jordan Peterson, but it's rule four from 12 Rules for Life. And it's compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. Again, that goes back to the, the lesson that I got from Tyler, which is like, what would you do to the you from six months ago, baby? Like, if you're better than that guy, guess what? You're improving. So don't worry about the guy next to you and how good he's doing. Don't worry about the guy over there that tapped you out five times while you rolled. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about belts. And don't compare yourself to everyone around you. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday not to who someone else is today. And this part here I want to get into now is I've, I've given a message to all the people, lots of messages rather, to guys that are still training, that are training right now, but they're in the young, early stages. But now's my message to those of you that are not training jujitsu, okay? Which it's a miracle that 45 or so minutes into this podcast, so you're still listening. But this is my message to you. Expect injuries, just deal with them. That's the same message I gave to the guys that were training. Some people are like, I don't want to do jujitsu because I'm afraid I'm going to get hurt. The reality is, is if you do jujitsu, you're going to get hurt. Like, and just think like as a kid, were you, did you not play football because you were scared of knee problems or, or head injuries? No, you, you played. Like, did you not play basketball because you were afraid you were going to roll an ankle or have knee issues? No, you just played, right? The same thing could be true as an adult. But now we're going to really get into the nitty gritty with messages to people that are not training jujitsu. This message is so important. Honestly assess whether your exercise hobby has any transferable skills. Now, I'm all for exercise hobbies that don't really have transferable skills. Like, I think they're fun and you can play games and do all those things and they're just fun. But does being good at golf transfer into a situation where you need to protect yourself or someone that you love or even a perfect stranger that's being taken advantage of? Because I've said something similar to this before. If you can pitch it on, you know, to within 10 feet of the cup from 100 yards out, that's not going to help you in a situation where your wife is potentially being violated. It's just not. If you can consistently hit jump shots from mid-range, that's not going to help you protect your kid if someone's trying to, you know, kidnap them. That's not really going to come into play. Like, being able to leg out a double in beer league softball is not going to translate well into trying to stop a violent attack on a stranger in public. So I'm not anti those things. I'm, I'm not a fan of golf. You know, I don't play softball anymore. I've played lots of it, though. Like, I love playing pickup basketball here and there. But if that is your exercise hobby, realize that there are no transferable skills, skills that you should have. Because no one that has ever won a fight or, or broken up a potentially violent or deadly situation using their bodies thought to themselves, gosh, you know, I'm glad I was physically capable and trained enough to take care of myself in that situation, but goodness gracious, I really should work on my putting. Yeah, I mean, gosh, if I could just sink more putts from outside of 10 feet, that would, that would really change my life. Sorry, doesn't really jive, doesn't really work. You need to honestly assess that. And to those of you that are not training, you need to also honestly assess whether you are cultivating mental and physical resilience on a daily or regular basis. Again, Undaunted Life is here to equip men to push back darkness by providing content 
that helps you forge spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. I've talked a lot about spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, so I'm not going to rehash it. But there's a tremendous mental and physical component to jujitsu. And so that's something that you can cultivate if you're doing jujitsu on a regular basis. But again, to, to you guys that are just golfing or, or basketball or maybe playing fantasy sports or Magic the Gathering, or I don't know what the heck people do, or playing video games there. I can't believe I didn't mention video games. Like, that's not helping you cultivate mental and, spirit and physical resilience. Like, you might get sweaty. You might get excited. You might be good at it. But you're not cultivating resilience. You have to do hard things. And I don't mean beating the most difficult level on whatever stupid game you're playing. You have to do hard things with your body. So that you can prove to yourself that you have what it takes to overcome if you're in a bad situation where you need your body to get out of it or to get somebody else out of their bad situation. So you honestly need to assess that. And so, to, again, I guess my parting message to those of you that are not training is, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? So here's, here's my call to action, and I've done this in other episodes. This is challenge time. I'm going to give you two challenges that are very, very, very specific, okay? So I'm not going to ask you to dedicate to training jujitsu for your entire life. I'm not going to ask you to dedicate to getting a black belt or, or a brown belt or purple belt or whatever. Here are my challenges. One comes from Jocko Willink and Echo Charles, and one comes directly from me. So Jocko Willink and Echo Charles have said this on their podcast before, that you should try to do jujitsu until you submit someone that's on or a little bit past your level. Train long enough to where you can legitimately submit somebody that's on or a little bit beyond your level. Train that long because that may take you three months, six months. For some of you, maybe longer. For some of you, you know, certainly shorter than that. That's how long you should train because the work and the fun that it's going to take to get to that point is probably going to be enough to get you hooked. So that's the Jocko Willink Echo Charles challenge. Now let's go into the Undaunted Life challenge, the Kyle Thompson challenge. 100 days of jujitsu, 100 days. Walk in to some school in your area. And again, I, I know there's affiliations and I know, oh, the closest school is, you know, this many miles away and all this. I get it. I, I know there's a lot of things that, that you got to work through. It's contextual. Do 100 days of jujitsu. Work out a deal with the office manager or the owner or something like that and say, hey, this jerk on this podcast challenged me to do this and I'm going to do it. I'm going to pay for my first 100 days. And they probably don't have a 100-day challenge as part of their gym. They probably got you know, a 90-day thing or they just pay month to month or maybe you buy the entire year. But you know, work something out. It'll probably be a unique, fun thing for you. Train jiu-jitsu for 100 days. Again, you're going to learn some amazing things about yourself. You're going to make some physical changes. You're going to make some mental changes. And from there, I assume that you're going to get the bug. And maybe it's not for you. Maybe it's legitimately not for you. But train for 100 days and just see what goes on for you. So at this point in the podcast, I think it's very incumbent upon me to hand out some thank yous. So this is the part where some of you guys that maybe don't know the people I'm talking about, uh, you know, it's going to kind of be like when people are at award shows and they name a bunch of people you've never heard of before. But it's still very, very important. You should be thankful for people and you should let them know that you're thankful. So this is, is just uh, just as much for, for me as it is for them. I want them to not kind of know this. But the generic thank yous is first, you know, I have to be thankful to God because without God, I'm not here. There is no consciousness. There is no universe. There is no jujitsu. There's, there's none of that, right? So that's kind of the generic, you know, I have to thank the creator, God, the loving and judgmental and awesome God that created everything. A second generic thank you is to my wife, Kelsey. So she has obviously been there whenever I've been injured, which has been a lot. The, the amount of time that I've spent away from home, away from the baby, away from the, the baby to come, Lord willing, like the, she's been patient and understanding, even though she doesn't get it. I mean, she just straight up, she'd be the first one to tell you she doesn't get why I would want to do something like this. You know, golf makes more sense, but she probably wouldn't like that because I'd be gone for four or five hours doing stupid crap. But got to be very, very thankful for that. I'm also thankful to the Gracie family. So the Gracie family, like they're the ones that essentially invented jujitsu. Uh, you know, there was Japanese jujitsu, but then they, they turned it into this, you know, this great fighting style that has basically revolutionized mixed martial arts. So I'm very thankful to them. Obviously, I'm very thankful to Hicks and Gracie. He came on the podcast uh, here last year. I'll put that in the show notes so you guys can check that out. But without the Gracie family, we don't have jujitsu. We're not training. You know, we'd probably be doing something else. We'd probably be doing, you know, karate or Wing Chun or Kung Fu or something like that. Still thinking that it's an effective technique, but instead we have jujitsu. I also want to thank Jocko Willing. So 
around the time when I'm trying to figure out if I want to really try to go and do this this thing and you know kind of figure out if I want to do jujitsu. Almost every week I was listening to Jocko Willink on his podcast and other places talk about jujitsu, talk about it all the time. He and I interacted a little bit on Twitter about it and all that. So I'm very very thankful to him. And then the last generic thank you will be to the Forge. Again, I talk about the Forge in Edmond, Oklahoma all the time, but I literally feel so unbelievably lucky to be at the best school in the area, to have gotten all these other transplants from all these other great uh, great schools and great programs to be in our school, to have such a good, positive place to train. It is absolutely fantastic. I feel incredibly, incredibly lucky. The scripture that I said from the beginning of this podcast was Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. One of the big things about jujitsu is you gain brothers and you gain people that you have a deep level of respect for. Uh, you, you get respect from a lot of people. So I want to give a little bit of an ode to some of my teammates here. So, uh, this first part, you know, none of this is in any really particular order. This is just how I kind of thought about these folks. The first one is Rush Sweatman. So again, I talked about him earlier in this show, you know, my, he was my very first jujitsu coach. And so, you know, for I forget how long I, I trained uh, just kind of doing the once, you know, once every Sunday type stuff with, with this crew of guys, but I probably did that for close to a year before I started doing it like really full on. So he was my first jujitsu coach for a year. And so he kind of set my foundation. So I'm very, very thankful to him. So thank you, Rush Wetman. And also thank you to Rob Harper. So Rob Harper is a very accomplished competitor. Um, he is the main black belt at our school. He just got his third degree black belt in jujitsu. Yeah, he's a very cerebral guy, not a terribly expressive guy, but like he, he jujitsu is just, that's who he is. He knows jujitsu. His, his technique is razor sharp. I love rolling with him because it's an absolute disaster for me every time it happens, but you know, you're not going to get hurt, but you're no, you're, you're tangling with, you know, a Jaguar. Like it's just, you know, it's going to be a hard situation for you, but very, very thankful to Rob Harper. Thank you to Tyler Murrah. I mentioned him several times on this podcast. He was the one that challenged me, you know, what would you do to the Kyle from six months ago? But I have rolled with Tyler Murrah more than I have rolled with any other human being on the planet. Okay. Which is a good and a bad thing because again, he's a world champion. He's, he's potentially the most, the, the best guy at our gym, right? You know, all, all things considered, he's an incredible, incredible athlete. He's dedicated his life to jujitsu rolling with him. I've never done well with him. I never will do well against him, but I'm so thankful to have a guy like that. And I was so thankful to hear what he had to say and the nice things he had to say about me. And I posted it on our Instagram. So you guys can go actually listen to it. Just go to our Instagram feed. And, and I think it ended up on Facebook as well. But for, for him to have respect for me and my game and the things that I've done, whenever I have so much respect for what he's done in the jiu-jitsu world is an incredible thing. So thank you so much to Tyler Murrah. And then also thank you to Aldo Gonzalez, right? So he taught me some things. Hey, start thinking like a purple belt. You know, he came up the, the day before I got promoted to try and help me just figure out what I could do. Uh, he's one of my coaches. I usually go to Saturday morning class. He's probably done the most to individually help my game recently. Right. And, you know, cause he and I have kind of similar, uh, body styles, you know, uh, I'm kind of on the same track as him in terms of, you know, being in the early forties, kind of, you know, knocking on the door, black belt, that type of a thing. So I've got a lot to learn from him and I've learned so much already. So thank you to Aldo Gonzalez. Also, I want to thank Steve Jones. So Steve is maybe my favorite coach from the forge to learn from. Okay. He, his style, uh, you know, I, you know, taking an ode to Metallica, I call him creeping death. Because when you roll with him, he's a physically big guy, a strong guy. But when you're rolling with him, he's just smashing you. And it's kind of like slow moving lava, just like consuming you up to your face. I've learned so much from his style, but I really, really like his teaching style. You know, the Tuesday night class of the Forge is one of my favorites. That's the class that he teaches. And he's been able to shake some things loose in my brain in terms of my style and the things that I focus on. And he's also very, very willing and eager to kind of hop in and, you know, help a guy with a certain position, even while they're rolling, while they're drilling. I just really, really love his style. I also want to thank Livingston McKenzie. So Livingston McKenzie is one of the best athletes that I've ever rolled against in terms of jujitsu, which some people would say, you know, either like, oh, that guy's a good, good athlete. That's almost considered like a negative thing. That's not a negative thing. He's just a very, very gifted athlete, but he's well-rounded. He, he's an incredible striker. Uh, he's, it does incredible wrestling. He's very explosive, incredibly athletic, but his jujitsu game is top notch. He's one of our black belts. He's another one of those guys that, you know, we're physically similar in terms of size, but I'll never be anywhere near as good as he is. But again, he's another guy that can be unbelievably explosive and be in complete control. Every time I roll with him, I'm not worried about being hurt. 
because even when he gets into one of these explosive positions or even when he takes me down or something like that, I know he's got himself completely under control. So I know that I'm safe. I enjoy rolling with him. Uh, again, it, it's a frustrating role because, you know, you see someone that's about your size and like, I should be able to do something. But again, whenever you roll with a guy like that, just change your goals in that role. Your goal is not to win. Your goal is to learn. And I certainly do a lot of learning when I roll with Livingston McKenzie. I also want to thank Chris Cunningham. So Chris Cunningham is one of our black belts, but he also runs the gym. He runs the business side of the gym. You know, he helped me get connected at the beginning because, you know, my wife and I were having some budget issues and, you know, training can be expensive. And so, you know, he kind of helped me in the early parts and, you know, he, he runs a good gym. Like part of the reason why we have the people that train at our gym is because of his tutelage and his leadership. So thank you to Chris Cunningham. I also want to thank JP Taylor. He is the first coach I had at the Forge. So not my first jujitsu coach ever, but the very first class I did was a 6 a.m. Monday morning class. And JP was my first coach. And so he's a brown belt now. He'll be knocking on the door of black belt in no time. And so uh, I'm not a huge fan of his wrist lock game, which he always tries to do on me. But uh, again, I have to be uh, very, very thankful for him to be my first coach from the Forge. I also want to thank Austin Moore. So Austin Morris is one of our newer coaches. He's a brown belt, knocking on the door, a black belt, young kid, very, very strong, incredibly technical, but he's responsible for kind of changing the direction of the forge because around the COVID time is when he kind of came into the fold, but a huge portion of his game is leg locks. And that wasn't really a huge part of a lot of our coaches games. And that's really where jujitsu is going. There's a lot of people doing leg locks. And so Austin, young kid, smart kid. You know, he, he knows a lot about the game. He's a student of the game. He trains all the time. He trains really, really hard, physically big, physically strong, but he he's very, very technical and he wants everyone else to be technical. He has a very technical teaching style. But again, I think the fact that he's kind of helping usher in this kind of leg lock uh, revolution in our school is going to be very, very good, especially for a lot of our guys that are going to be competing. But then also I want to kind of go ahead and give a shout out to all my other training partners. And I won't get into too much detail on all these guys, but from my foxhole, downtown Jermaine Brown, Shelby Bullard, Brandon Vincent, Rocky Campbell, Mike Fick, Adam Smith, and Zach Martin. Those are guys from my foxhole that I've rolled with a ton in addition to Rush Wetman that I mentioned earlier. And then from the Forge, uh, Chris Avon. Uh, the night I got my purple belt is the night he got his black belt. I mean, super duper well uh, deserved. He had a really great post on his Facebook afterwards, you know, where he's talking about, you know, uh, reflecting on um, how much jujitsu he's done and the things that he's learned about himself. But he's another guy that's very, very good to roll with. Uh, you know, he and I have actually, I've actually hurt myself rolling with him before. So I still kind of hate him a little bit for that. But but it's just an accidental thing. It just kind of happens. But it's always awesome when you train so much with somebody. I've rolled so much with him. And to see him get his black belt, it was such a cool experience. I was glad I was there for that. Matt Varney is another guy, a very, very big, very, very strong guy. But he and I are kind of on the same trajectory around the same time. He's a little bit older than me, but he got his purple belt that night. And so it's kind of like, you know, kindred spirits. It's like, man, that's my brother right there. Like he got his purple belt. He's trained so hard for so long. And then he, he was able to accomplish that. I just love that. I love rolling with him. I, I love rolling with him, but I hate it at the same time because it's always a difficult role. Adam Stevens, he was the, the kid I mentioned earlier, young kid, real flexible, kind of smaller, but then has been lifting lately and gotten really, really strong. This is a guy who, of all the people on the planet, uh, that I have the most trouble passing his guard is him. And I mean, he probably weighs 140 pounds and it's, I have a pressure passing that I use and he, it's just so hard to do that. But rolling with him, it's like you're trying to crack a Rubik's cube that's moving around and trying to kill you. It's like, that's how he is. But it's so cool to see a young kid that at a very, very young age, when he was like 17 years old, had to get his mom to go in there to sign a waiver for him so that he could start training and just seeing all the things that he's done. It's been incredible to watch that. And then Michael Chandler, we just call him Chan, but he's a guy that's, uh, I think he started doing jujitsu in his 40s. Very, very gifted, very, very strong guy, like ox strong, even though he's not, you know, physically that big. He probably weighs 160, 165 pounds. But rolling with him, it's like rolling. I, I make fun of him all the time, but it's like rolling with a pec muscle with arms. Like it's just like it's so hard to pass his guard. It's so hard to do anything. But just he's an inspiration to me just because he's an older guy that is on the journey. He's a purple belt and he's and he's gonna be training forever. And this is just kind of part of what he does. But then to get into some other guys, uh Josh Munson and Chuck Munson, that's a father-son team, two of the nicest guys you'll meet at the gym. Uh, you know, very devout Christian supporters of Undaunted Life. They got our rash cards, they got everything. So I love those guys. <clears throat> Matt Grice, you know, a big Big MMA career came and was a part of the Forge, even though he's moved on to another gym. Very thankful for him. Paul Ambrose, one of our black belts, love rolling with him. Trevor Fulbright, he got his brown belt that night. So this was a guy that used to be like 350 pounds or something like that. He's lost like 150 pounds of weight and he looks great. And he used jujitsu as kind of the center point for that. Tanner Schroeder is another guy that, that trains at our gym. He was a big supporter. The last time I competed, I could hear him yelling the whole time he came out. Uh, Robert Storkson, Jake the Snake Coleman, I've already talked about him. Richard Davis is another one of our black belts. Jack Carmack is a young kid. He's a 
he's a purple belt. I don't, you know, he, he's been gone for a little bit, um, you know, after college and all that. But I, I know that if he stays on the path, he could do big things in jujitsu. Sean Izell uh, is another purple belt from our school. Hey, and Sean, you're the only one that'll get this, but you still owe me a bunch of starting rounds where I'm on the back. Okay. Uh, Lance Southard, he's the only guy that he's one of our black belts. He's the only guy I've ever pressure tapped to because I thought he was smothering me to death. So that's my one pressure tap in my career. Trevor Cowan, uh, this is a guy who, you know, before I started training jujitsu, he and I were doing this little wrestling thing and he basically tossed me. It was in one of our early videos. And so I still own for that, even though I'm not sure I'll ever be able to take him down like that. And Blake Kerr, he was uh, one of the first guys that I train with. He's built like a baby rhinoceros. That's why we call him baby rhino, but very thankful for him. And then other guys, Kirk Walker, Luke Woodard, Trey Falk, Eric Blackwell, Alan Flores, Caleb Parham, Carl Wolf, uh, Wolfwood, Musab Raza, J.R. Kofferin, Zach Brun, uh, Michael Tran, Robert Lewis, and James Head. And and here's the thing, guys, is I'm sure, and, and Garrett, there's, a, there's another guy that I train with a lot on Saturday mornings. If I miss someone, you know, give me a break. <laughs> I mean, like I, I literally tried to think of all the people I spent the last several days trying to think of the people that I've rolled with, even people that I've moved on and gone on to other gyms. But here's just a generic group thank you to everyone that I've ever trained with or competed against. And so guys, uh, I really do appreciate you sticking with me to the end of this podcast. I think it's very, very important to let guys know that you're appreciative of them. So I really appreciate your patience with that. And I hope that a lot of this stuff was valuable to you. But guys, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost at Undaunted Life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that for just spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So here are the links I've got for you. So I've got a link to our donation page. Again, I would really like you guys to consider hopping on to become a donor. Also, <clears throat> it's not a link because I don't really know what you guys use. So I don't know if you're a DuckDuckGo person or if you're a Brave person or if you're a Google person or a Bing person. Go to your nearest browser. If you're not training jujitsu right now and type in jujitsu gyms in my area and go find one and go start training. All right. And then I've got my three episodes that I mentioned before. Episode five, six months of jujitsu, episode 62, blue belt and episode 242 with Hicks and Gracie. Those links are there. I've got a link to the Iron Neck website. Again, I'm not affiliated with them in any way, shape or form. I just think it's a very, very good piece of equipment. And then recently Lex Friedman on his podcast, he released an episode that's an incredible episode. I may have to do an episode breaking down this episode later, but it's with George St. Pierre, who's the greatest MMA fighter of all time. John Donaher, who's probably the greatest mixed martial arts coach of all time, and Gordon Ryan, who's probably the greatest submission grappler of all time. And so it's it's that episode. So wherever you get your podcast, you can check that out, but I've got a link for it so you can get there easily. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We really do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok and like us on Facebook, and then you can check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And we also want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song, Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album, Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.